I'm pleased to introduce Isaac. We're very excited that he's, uh, he's finally here and that he was able to step in. He had no idea he was going to step off the plane and into the pulpit, but because of Dennis needing to spend more time with Catherine this week, we asked Isaac to, to fill in for us. He's actually ordained in the Reformed Churches of South Africa, so he is already a teaching elder. He's pastored there in South Africa for the past two years, but has felt the Lord calling him to the United States, and we're excited that he's coming to do an internship with us. When I approached him this week, he had not yet been in the country 24 hours, and I said, could you preach Sunday? And the, the blood went out of his face. And his wife's like, oh yeah, he'll be great. <laughs> so we're very, is this the first, is this your first sermon in English? This is his inaugural English sermon, so listen closely. So welcome, Isaac, and we're excited to hear the word from you today. Thank you, Mr. Hartin. And I'm glad you made the statement that it's my first sermon in English. So I pray that you'll have patience with me if I struggle over a word or 25. What a privilege to be with you, um, singing the praises of our Lord this morning. It's been a prayer for me and Carolyn and for Rick and as I've heard of this church as well for many weeks, many months, almost many years for us to be here and uh, to be with you not only in Richmond but especially in All Saints and we are very thankful towards the Lord for guiding us over this last year and blessing us in this uh, journey as we made our way here. Also, a special thanks to the session of All Saints for granting me this opportunity to preach today. And um, it is my prayer that you'll all be comforted by the Lord's word and his preaching this morning. Please open your Bibles with me on Isaiah chapter 40. It's found in the Pew Bible, page 599. 599. And we'll be reading the first 11 verses from Isaiah chapter 40. Please listen to the Lord's holy and infallible word. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry and I that's Isaiah said what shall I cry all flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field the grass withers the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it surely the people are grass the grass withers the flower fades but the word of our God will stand forever Go up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news, and lift up your voice with strength. 
O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift up, lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Truly the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray and ask God for the blessing over the preaching of his word. Our Father who is in heaven, as we lift up our hearts and souls to you this morning, we ask that you will bless the reading and the preaching of your word, and that your name may, may be glorified by it. Father, we ask that you will open our ears today, open the ears of your people, your people that will be strengthened and comforted by your word. But Father, also open the ears of those that has not already come to faith in you, so that your word and the preaching of it convicts them of the truth that is only found in you. Father, strengthen me in this hour as I continue to minister your word, and may your spirit guide me so that I can continue to preach with boldness and truth. Amen. Brothers and sisters, fellow saints and fellow servants of our Lord Jesus Christ, in this world where we live in, there is so much pain and sorrow. And in a life where we live in, there's so many trials and tribulations, so much afflictions and sufferings, sadness, tears and heartbreaks. Every single human being on the face of this earth is in dire need of comfort. And there's no exception to us as the covenant people of God. We too are also in need of comfort amidst our challenging circumstances, whether, it, whether we are in times of physical, emotional, economical, social, or other types of hardships. And as Mr. Yancey prayed for earlier, there's a lot of sorrow, a lot of sadness that's in this church because of illness and other reasons. Over these past few weeks, all saints have, have had um, loved ones that passed into the Lord. We've heard about some that has had surgery and is recovering, recovering from it. We heard about hurricanes and other devastating situations. And all of us are affected by these afflictions in one sense or another, to one degree or another. And we need comfort in these situations. And even though we as Christians can see the Lord's abundant care and merciful hand that is stretched out to us in this time of afflictions, in these difficult circumstances, we still need comfort. Because even when a Christian undergoes these hardships, it can still feel as if their whole world has been shattered when they're going through these sufferings. We all need comfort because we all experience sufferings or tragedy in some point or another in our lives. But saints, we don't need any comfort. We don't need just any comfort that anybody can offer to us. We, as the covenant people of God, need a particular kind of comfort. 
And listen to what theologian Barry Webb in his commentary on this passage says about the type of comfort that a Christian does not need. He says a Christian does not need cheap comfort. Because cheap comfort is not only a waste of time, but it is cruel. And ain't that the truth? Someone who is surrounded by any forms of trial and hardships in their lives don't need cheap, empty, meaningless comfort. They don't want to hear the voices that cry out futile or worthless comfort. And any, Christ, and any Christian who had sufferings in their lives had heard these sorts of cheap, meaningless, ineffectual calls of comfort, Right? Family members or friends trying to comfort us with only words instead of reality. As example, we can think about words like when someone tries to comfort you by telling you, oh, don't worry, we all have bad days, you'll get through this. Don't worry, it'll get better, or you're strong, you'll get through this. And even though there's a certain sense of truth within those words of comfort, An afflicted Christian would much rather hear nothing at all from those that surround him than to hear cheap, meaningless, worthless comfort. Because cheap comfort is not only a waste of time, but it is cruel. And that is because cheap comfort offers no real comfort at all. Webb, the theologian that I spoke of earlier, goes on and he says that comfort that is not grounded in reality is no comfort at all. Comfort, I would add, that is not grounded in reality and in Scripture is without value or worth. But on the other hand, other than the cheap comfort that some people would like to offer us, the word of the gospel and the word that Josiah is commissioned to bring to the people in their troublesome time is not at all cheap comfort. Because the comfort that we see and we learn from in the gospel and the comfort that Isaiah is bringing to the people in tribulation is founded in Scripture. Every point that comfort is based in the truth and reality. And the Hebrew writer writes that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And the Christian has the assurance that what is taught in Scripture is absolutely based in reality because it is true in every aspect. And that, saints, is why we as Christians do not only want to hear words of comfort, but we want to receive true comfort. And this probably won't come as a surprise to any one of you, but brothers and sisters, outside of Christ, there is no comfort. The only place where we can receive comfort in this life and in the next, as we'll confess later on in the service, is found in Christ. Therefore, there is only comfort to the covenant people of God, to us as the believers in the almighty, sovereign, and all-powerful one that, that gave his Son to us to give us the fullest sense of comfort. Because only the covenant people of God receives, receives God's comfort from the misery that we are in in this life or the life that is to come. Along with the comfort we receive here and now, there is the beautiful reality 
that those who belong to the Lord will also receive the comfort in the times that is to come. After our first death here, we will receive the fullest comfort from our Lord, and his salvation will be clearly depicted in our comfort that we receive in the heavenly kingdoms. Pastor Bullock wrote earlier from 2 Corinthians 1 that Paul writes, On him we can set our hope that he will deliver us again. He not only deliver us from all our tribulations or trials or afflictions here on earth, but he will deliver us once again in the times that is to come. And saints, here's a, a question for introspection for all of us. As we are in times of afflictions, or when we are in times of afflictions, where are you trying to seek your comfort? Are you actively seeking the face of God in prayer and studying His Word so that He can minister His comfort to you through His Spirit? Have you been trying to find this true comfort amidst your afflictions? Or are you seeking comfort in solutions in, or solutions in heavenly means or resources, such as wine, gambling, vain relationships, or a presence on social media? Maybe by trying to make a name for yourself with wealth and fame, building up a city for your own name to try and process the miseries of life. My brother and my sister, all those means are temporary and inadequate. These earthly means will not satisfy your needs and will not comfort you in your afflictions. They will not dry your tears and they will not heal your born-again heart's longing and desires. Earthly means will not be able to strengthen your weary souls and truly comfort you in your afflictions. The only lasting comfort that you'll be able to receive in this life and in the life that is to come comes from the Lord Yahweh, the covenant God that comforts us through His Son by the means of the Word and the Holy Spirit. And our Lord Jesus taught us in Scriptures that the Holy Spirit was sent as helper and as comforter to assist us in our weakness and comfort us in our times of sorrow. He guides us so that we can worship and call on God in spirit and in truth. He is the one that was sent in our hearts that let us call out, Abba, Father, so that we can call in Him and so that we can make our afflictions known to Him. That's what He already knows. God the Holy Spirit is our comforter and He uses the Word to minister comfort to us. And we will be able to see the Lord's Supper or participating in the Lord's Supper as well where there is such a beautiful communication, a proclaiming of the Lord's comfort that we receive in Christ. And therefore, the only words that can really comfort us as Christians and or anybody else in times of misery is only words that echo the truth of Scripture being guided by the Spirit. And saints, may that be the case today as we all sit under the authority of the preached word. And may we be reminded of the great mercy we have to hear the words and reality of comfort as it is read and preached from the Lord's word.
The particular words of comfort that we received from the Lord, and especially in Isaiah, we'll, we find in the first verse that we read together, where the Lord calls on his people, and he says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. And isn't that such a beautiful comfort that we as the covenant people of God already receive in this first verse? To know that the Lord is the one who comforts and the fact that he comforts. Isn't that beautiful? The comfort of the covenant people comes from the covenant Lord. And I believe many of you already know the background of the book of Isaiah but for the sake of those who doesn't quite remember it that good or haven't studied it yet, I'll spend a few minutes to run over the structure of the book. And that will also help us to understand why does the tribe of Judah receive these words, comfort, comfort my people. And in turn, it will also help us to know how we can be comforted as well. So from the early chapters in the book of Isaiah, and especially in chapter 6, Isaiah receives the calling to be the prophet of God and to proclaim the judgment of God that will fall upon an ungodly northern kingdom and an unfaithful southern kingdom. He also receives the assignment to proclaim judgment over several other heathen unbelieving nations, such as the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Egyptians, the Philistines, Moabites, and other nations. The Lord Yahweh also made known to Isaiah that he will use those, some of those pagan nations to punish Israel and Judah because they had lapsed into idolatry, unfaithfulness, and rebellion against God. And because of their sin, God will also use two of these nations, Assyria and Babylonia, to come and take Jerusalem and Judah into captivity in the future. And this message that Isaiah received and had to proclaim to Israel and to Judah was a challenging and demanding message. He also had to announce the destruction of the temple and the downfall of Jerusalem. The tribe of Judah heard the voice of the Lord's prophet that they will receive the judgment from the Lord. And for many years, Isaiah prophesied their condemnation and called them up to repentance but they kept on living in their sins and trespasses. As the Lord revealed in chapter 6 that we gave, the, we gave Isaiah the commission to go and be his prophet, he said, they will hear and not understand. They will see, but they will not perceive. And this kept on being the reality. Isaiah was kept on calling on the tribe to repent, kept on calling on them to turn to God, but they kept on hearing and did not understand, kept on seeing but did not perceive. They were hearing deaf and seeing blind, and they did not turn back to God and did not take the, the warnings of his prophet to heart. Their hearts were hardened and they kept on living ungodly and did not turn to the only living God with their hearts and their souls. And in summary, the, the characteristics of the first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah, it can be summarized in this sentence, it's the Lord's judgment and punishment to a disobedient and unfaithful nation. But then starting in chapter 40 and as we read this earlier, you won't be able to tell that 
if, if it's the first time you're looking at Isaiah, you won't be able to ta- tell that this book is about judgment and condemnation because it says comfort, comfort. There is no judgment, no condemnation, at least not at the first look of it. But starting in chapter 40 till the end of the book, till chapter 66, the perspective of the book drastically changes from a message of destruction, punishment, and judgment to a message of hope and comfort with these words, comfort, comfort my people, that characterizes the rest of the remaining chapters of the book. And that is because Isaiah 40 and further on, in Isaiah 40 and further on, Isaiah receives a, a future prophecy. And only when the, in the time that the, the tribe of Judah is already in the captivity, the, that is where Isaiah prophesies this comfort message. They are already in Babylon, and the faithful remnant of the tribe receive this message of hope as a result of their faith and repentance to God. And that is why they will find comfort and hope in the Lord Yahweh, because he had shown them mercy by giving them faith. You see, that's where the difference is between this exile or a captivity time zone uh, people of Judah and the, those 200 or 100 years earlier. They did not have faith earlier, but now the Lord has showed them mercy to have faith. And saints, listen again to what the Lord says in verse 1. Who are the ones that receive his comfort? Comfort, comfort my people. So let's ask the question, who receive the comfort of the Lord? Who are his people? Is it the Egyptians, Babylonians, Assyrians, or any of the other nations? Is it those that put their faith in Baal, Asherah, or Dagon? Is it the people that worship and praise the name of themselves, their money, their belongings, or their own ability to stand righteous before God, whereby they can receive comfort? Does those that think they can receive His mercy or or grace in their own standing or by their own good works receive His comfort? And no, saints, it's not the case. It's the Lord's people. And how this people became the Lord's people was by the faith that the Lord gave them. And as was the case for Old Testament Judah, it is the case for the New Testament church today. Only those that put their faith and trust in the Lord Yahweh receives his comfort because through the atoning work of Christ, we are considered his people. We are not out of our own good standing or our own good works or anything that we can do on our own God's people. But he made us his people. Out of the the death he called us. We have been made his people because we have been adopted by Christ and we received his justification as an act of God's free grace. That's great. That's wonderful news. That's the gospel. Because God, He is the one that does miracles in our hearts, in our lives, everywhere. He calls us who is dead and who is dead in our own trespasses and sins to life. 
We are considered his people not because of our efforts or good works, but because of the perfect, completed works of Christ on the cross. And that is why we are able to receive his comfort. Because God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. By grace we, along with the believing remnant of Judah, have been saved through faith. And that is why the believers have hope and comfort. Because we have been made his people through the covenant And we can only imagine how encouraging this must have been for the tribe of Judah in captivity when they hear this word, my people, comfort, comfort, my people. Even if they are in a time of distress, in a foreign land where they have been taken away from their country, their cities, their temple, and the temple has been destroyed, there is still comfort for them because they are the covenant lords covenant people and saints how comforting this must be to hear and trust and believe to those who are suffering the tragedy of death of a loved one the diagnosis of a life-threatening illness or to the one recovering from an injury or surgery how comforting this must be to us who experience afflictions so often in our lives Yeah, our God is the one that gives deliverance, both earthly and eternal. And he comforts us with the reality that those who believe in him are his people. Earlier in the service, we sing from Trinity Hymnal number 53, which echoes the words of Psalm 103, where we sang, Praise to the Lord who doth prosper thy work and defend thee. Surely his goodness and mercy here daily attend thee. And saints, as we hear this gospel message today that we are the children of God through the work of Christ, may that be our reaction as well. May we respond in prayer. May we respond in praise to praise the name of the Lord for his faithful preservation and his comfort that he gives his covenant people. And then in verses 1 to 8, we're going to hear now there's four comforts that the Lord is giving his people. We already heard in the first point, the comfort that the people receive is that they are the Lord's people. We heard that the first comfort that the tribe of Judah receives is that they are the Lord's people. And even though the afflictions are awful, Even though the suffering seems intolerable, even if one is tempted to think that the Lord forgot about you because of the afflictions and the heavy burden it lays upon you, listen to this comfort that you are still his people. We are still belonging to him. We continue to remain the sheep of his flock. And he is still the owner of the vineyard and he looks after and he cares for his vines that Isaiah heard in Isaiah chapter 5. Because he will set apart a remnant that will be his holy seed, and they will belong to him forever. And through Christ, we have already been set apart for him, and we will belong to him forever. 
how wonderful is his covenant faithfulness in this comfort for his people that we received so undeservingly. And then the second comforting reality that Judah receives is that her warfare has ended, as we read in verse 2. And in his commentary on this verse, Calvin states that this metaphor of the warfare that has been ended is being used in the sense of soldiers that got discharged from their duty of going into the battlefield. Because their time in the military service has been concluded. And likewise, the tribe of Judah's passive warfare against the Babylonians in captivity has come to an end because God will set them free in the nearby future where they will be able to return back to their homeland, back to the place that God promised to Abraham through his covenant. They will be set free from their oppression. And this comfort of deliverance stands in close connection then to the the comfort that they also receive in verse 2, and that is that their iniquity is pardoned. All her guilt, all the guilt of Judah has been taken away from her, and that is why she does not have to pay anymore for her guilt by suffering in captivity. Calvin says that in a certain sense, the tribe of Judah were in captivity to pay for their iniquity, to pay for their sins. But now the Lord has set them free because he has paid the debt of their sins. And saints, doesn't that remind us of our own iniquity and guilt that was taken away from us through Christ's saving work on the cross? Isn't that the clear prophecy of what was to come, that our sins and iniquity would be taken away from us and therefore there will be no damning judgment or condemnation for us? Because we too have been freed from captivity. Freed from eternal damnation because we were washed clean by the atoning death of Christ on the cross. Through his body that was broken and bruised and his precious blood that flown on Golgotha, our sins has been paid. And Christ our Lord has made the full payment of all our sins and inequities. And he announced it on the cross when he cried out, it is finished. There's nothing else that needs to be brought forward or to, to bring with so that the sins can be completely paid then. He has done it all. This is comforting to know that the sufferings we experience, the trials, the tribulations, the afflictions, it's not to pay for our sins. It's not because we did something wrong and now we lost someone we love. It's not to pay for our sins that we experience suffering because Christ has satisfied the wrath of God completely. James and other portions in Scripture, a lot of portions in the Scripture make it clear that we go through suffering so that we can grow in faith, grow in our faithfulness in Christ. It's not because we have not done, or that Christ have not done enough. That's why we suffer, but we suffer so that we can learn how beautiful the full payment of Christ is. In verses 3 and 4, Judah receives another comfort, and that is that the Lord would prepare the way for them to return to the promised land. After the captivity, he would, faithful to his covenant promise, bring Judah back to the land that he gave them. 
The way to the promised land will be made straight and level, which is figurative language used to convey the fact that they will be able to enter Israel without obstacles, without big major obstacles that will keep them from going back to the promised land. And similar to how the Lord led Israel out of slavery in Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, he will lead them back to the promised land, freed from the captivity in Babylon. Like the shepherds lead their flock to the green pastures which we sung from earlier and which is in this passage as well, God will lead his covenant people to safety. He will tend his flock. He will tend his flock, verse 11, like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. And isn't this a beautiful image? Like a parent that holds their young child tightly in their arms against their body to protect them against the cold or other dangers. Likewise, the Lord will keep his covenant people close to him, protecting them every second. Beloved, just because you're going through affliction does not mean that God has forgotten you. He has not. You have not fallen outside of his mercy, but you are carried in his arms, being led by his providence and protected in the faith by his spirit. Even though we fall, even though we get hurt, even though there's all these difficult times in our lives, we may fall, but we will not fall out of his covenant love and saving grace. The fourth comfort the Lord gives us in this passage we find in verses 6 to 8. And there the Lord reminds us of his faithfulness. And may we be comforted by the Lord's faithfulness. Especially in verse 8 where we read, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And here um, in verse 7, as is in other places in the, in the scripture, the, the ma- a man's life is being compared to that of grass. One moment it's there, the next it's withered. One morning it still stands in the field, and by the evening it's cut down and thrown or burnt, thrown away or burnt. One moment there, the rest it is no more. And that is how perishable we are. We know not when our last breath would be taken. We know not when God will cut us down and take us to our heavenly home. And children... Young people, do not let your age fool you. Just because you're 14 or 37 or 62 does not mean you still have a good chunk of life or bunch of days that's left in you. We are all grass that will wither. Our lifespan and our days is not in our own hands. It is not our decision to make whether we live or die. Do not think that you have another 10 or 30 years to start getting serious about your life. Now is the time. Now is the time, young child. Now is the time, sir or ma'am. Because the grass withers and the flower fades. But listen to this comfort. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. The word of God, as well as our God himself, will not wither. He will not fade away. 
but he will stand forever for he is immutable and infinite. And even if we do not live a healthy or wealthy life that is acceptable in our own eyes, till the age of 80 or 90, we can still be comforted because our comfort does not lie. We can't find our comfort in our own circumstances, but we find our comfort in the Lord our God. He is our highest treasure. He is our portion. He is our delight, even amid suffering, because he is steadfast, and that is our comfort. And saints, be comforted knowing that we can call on him and he is faithful to answer our prayers. For we have Christ as our high priest that intercedes for us. And through his work of propitiation, we are no longer under the judgment of our God. We will no longer receive eternal condemnation. And to use the imagery of verse 8, because of him we will not wither. And we will, we will not eternally wither and we will not eternally fade, but receive eternal life and eternal comfort. Saints, I'd like to conclude the sermon with a set of questions where we are all invited to examine our hearts and our souls. Are you searching, young boy or elderly woman, for the everlasting comfort that God gives to us through his word and by his spirit? Are you, by the grace of God, setting your eyes upon our Lord Jesus Christ and are you putting all your faith and trust in him? Not a portion, not a most of it, not 99.9%, all of it. Is your eyes fixed upon the cross at Golgotha and at the open grave? Are you trusting in him to give you eternal comfort? May we all delve into our hearts and search for the answer of these questions in our lives. And if by the grace of God we already know the answer of these questions, and by the grace of God the answer in this question is yes, and we can answer this with truth and with a clear conscience, then we can be sure to know that no tribulation, no distress, no persecution, no famine or nakedness or danger or sword or sickness or surgery or Recovery or any affliction that we might possibly have in this life will separate us from the love of Christ, but you will receive his comfort. Because in Christ, all the promises of God find their yes and their amen. Even this promise of comfort, comfort my people, will be received by us through Christ. Because we can know that we are his covenant people. Our iniquity has been pardoned and our sins has been paid for by Christ. And because he is raised from the dead, there will be a resurrection of our bodies where we will enter the heavenly promised land. He is faithful. He is our God. And may you be comforted with the reality of the comfort that is found in our God, especially in the times of suffering and afflictions. And may the Lord bless and keep you through his spirit so that you'll always be driven to Christ, running away from earthly means to try and find comfort in earthly resources. May you be driven by the spirit not to be tempted of trying to find your comfort in anything else but in him. Hold fast to this comfort 
And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we praise your name above all names for all your goodness and loving kindness that you bestow on us through Christ. Father, as we confessed earlier with the sermon and as we confess so regularly through sermons or through confession of faith that's read in the service, we now also confess that we are not your people because of our own good works. We are your people because of your covenant love, because you have called us to be your people. Father, we praise your name for all the blessings that we receive from you, all the spiritual or physical blessings. We thank you that we may have a Bible in our language that we can understand and that we can read and learn from it. We thank you that we have the privilege to sit under the preaching of your word this day and week by week to hear the words of comfort that we all so desperately need in our lives. May your work in our lives and in our hearts, may may you work in our lives and in our hearts so that this gospel message will not sound like a cheap comfort to anybody, but that you will continue to preach to our hearts through your Spirit, that we may be convinced and convicted that there is no other comfort that can be found in this life or in the life that is to come other than the comfort that you have given to us through your Son, as he is proclaimed and preached through your word. We ask you to conform us to the image of our Lord and Savior in times of afflictions, so that we may stand strong in the truth and in wisdom. As Paul also writes to the church in Corinth, may we be also be able to help and comfort others with your word and with the truth and reality that is found in your word. We ask all these things in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.